It's August 27, 1914, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that the first ever Ladybird books were registered at the British Library by the publishers Wills and Hepworth, later to become Ladybird books. Uh, but at the time, uh, it was just one thing that the publisher made, and they weren't even books for school kids. They were books for preschoolers. Um, the first stories to appear in this new series were Hans Anderson's Fairy Tales by E. Talbot and Tiny Tot's Travels by M. Burridge. Yeah, and Wills and Hepworth actually started out as a publisher of all sorts of other types of um, paper and ink-based <laughs> products, including... <laughs> <laughs> you can say books. <laughs> well, they weren't actually books. They were they were making the manuals for cars. I guess manuals is the word that we'll do in this particular case. But it was at this point in 1914 that they started to create children's books in part because they needed to keep their printing presses running and printing uh, children's books was uh, less costly than it was to make these car manuals. Yeah, it's funny. The wars seem to have actually been pretty beneficial on the whole for Ladybird because it was during World War Two that they developed the sort of signature look. The early Ladybird books wouldn't be recognisable to us, you know, in the same way that the classic ones are. And that's because during World War Two, because of paper rationing, they came up with this distinctive. It was basically like you would use one massive sheet of paper, basically, and, and use it to create the whole book. Yeah, so then you get full colour and 56 pages if you yeah. have one massive sheet of paper and fold it lots of times, which it seems really obvious, Brilliant. but no one had done before. And, mm. you know, the text was in a format that could very easily be kind of quickly and cheaply swapped out with different, you know, words and illustrations. So that kind of gave Ladybird its signature style. So while the two world wars weren't great on the whole for the planet, <laughs> for Ladybird, they really seem to have been the making of them. And also it was after the Second World War that their salesman, Douglas Keane, saw the true gap for Ladybird, the gap being schools for educational books. But the guys who ran the publishers at the time weren't convinced that Keane was right. So Douglas Keane personally, their salesman, went home and wrote the kind of book he thought would work in this new format, this hardback format, British Birds. Uh, he wrote a page for each Naughty. bird. And then, he, and, then, <laughs> and then he got his wife, Margaret, to do the illustrations on the opposite page of what the birds should look like. And they took that to the boardroom at Wills and Hepworth and said, look, this is the idea. Please let us make this. And it was only when they agreed to it after they'd seen the sample and sort of commissioned a small experiment that it went on to become an absolutely monster hit and became the centrepiece of their business. By 1964, Ladybird had really doubled down on this trajectory and they launched the keywords reading scheme and it's the thing that we now know as the Peter and Jane books you know where you've got Peter and Jane with very simplistic vocabulary doing particular things that introduce children to a new concept with just a number of words that they then print at the bottom of the page to reinforce to the child this is what you're learning from this particular illustration. And this system was the brainchild of an educator called William Murray, whom Wikipedia describes, faintly amusingly to modern ears, as an educational advisor at a Borstal and later headmaster of a school for the educationally subnormal. Oh, no. oh God. <laughs> the Ladybird book of the educationally subnormal would be a collector's piece, I feel. <laughs> well, I'm sure at the time people said, educationally subnormal, it's political correctness gone mad. <laughs> Did you learn to read with Peter and Jane, Rebecca? No, I think the equivalent when I was at school were the magic key books. I don't know if they still use them. They don't seem like they'd be 
problematic. So maybe they are still using them. It's interesting that you mention anything problematic because there was, I think, this perception in the late 80s, early 90s that Peter and Jane and Lady Bird were problematic because of things that, in a way, they just couldn't have been anything but because they were from the 1960s. So, yes, they were misogynistic in that they presented Daddy as the one who was fixing a car and Mummy as the one who was baking a cake. And, yes, they only had white children in it. I mean, England was then essentially mostly white for most of the time that Ladybird were being printed and they were a bit late to get characters of different colours in. But they were seen as being just a bit old-fashioned. The um, Janet and John books, which weren't by Ladybird, they went out of print in the 70s for that very reason. They were seen as being so hopelessly, you know, old-fashioned and middle-class and stuffy that they actually were phased out, whereas Ladybird was able to adapt. Starting from the mid-70s, they started updating all of their classic books. Sometimes the updates did not hit the mark. I saw one where it's an, it's an illustration of Mummy wrapping a present while obviously Daddy looks on in a suit and tie. And that was updated in 1976. Basically, they just put Dad in a Tom Good-style jumper and gave Mummy a Delia Smith haircut. But in this one, crucially, he was holding on to a piece of ribbon for her. <laughs> Very helpful. <laughs> well done, Daddy. <laughs> Other changes included Jane beginning to sport a pair of jeans, Mummy getting a job, and even the occasional non-white background character. But those would have been progressive things to do, wouldn't they, in the 1970s? You can see why... If you'd have made a series of children's books in the 1960s which were all about women at work, that would have seemed like an unnecessarily radical thing to do. There's a BBC News article by Caroline Lowbridge, and in it she's talking to Professor Lawrence Zegan, who's studied all of these books and how they changed over the years, and um, just talking about how they had a... Um, people at work series which were almost all men you know firemen farmer blah 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 but they had a sort of token female one called the nurse which explained to children that quote doctors tell nurses what to do (laughs) (laughs) well i suppose it's the fact that you can pick holes in it now which is why the parody books have become such a success isn't it so the Mm. the books by hazley and morris are like a christmas staple now the ladybird book of the hipster the ladybird book of the midlife crisis etc And they are kind of funny. Like, I like them. Like, they tap into my sense of humour. But I think it's a bit of a shame that um, it's just nostalgia and sort of irony when the original pure idea of Ladybird is still current. Like, I would still read them with my kids if they still made them. Yeah, and I guess it just goes to show how the power of the brand hasn't really continued down the generations and so now they kind of have to write books aimed at adults because adults are the only ones who who still have this yeah. sense of ladybird as a kind of a cultural entity you know kids probably wouldn't think anything of it if they saw those books there is something incredibly nostalgic about the style though like i suppose it must have been nostalgic then that illustrated style because it was calling back to sort of the war wasn't it like even by the 60s there was something traditional about the style when I look at Ladybird books, I get the same feeling I get when I watch The Muppet Show on Disney Plus with my kids, which is just like it reminds me of my childhood and makes me feel warm. There's something classic about it, which yeah. is missing from a lot of contemporary stuff. Still, the stuff that they were looking at was useful to children then and could still be useful to children now. Well, uh, potentially not the science books. They showed children how to indulge in wholesome activities like stripping the casing from a battery with pliers and using a magnifying glass to start a fire. Wow. (laughs) Okay, probably not something I would do with my kids now. No, you're not supposed to be doing it with them, Molly. They're supposed to be doing it by themselves. 
There was also adult interest in these children's books, even at the time, uh, because some of them just gave you a really simple how-to on various bits of information, Mm. which is analogous to, I remember when I started at university, our English professor was like, I know I shouldn't have to say this to you, but if you're about to embark on an MA in English literature and you don't know your grammar, can I recommend the Osborne Book of English Grammar, (laughs) which is this book that has like cartoons showing you how words are formed. And allegedly, there was a special printing of the computer from the How It Works series, which was produced privately for the Ministry of Defence in 1971 with a plain cover so that people at the MOD could find out how computers worked from a children's (laughs) book without it being obvious that they were reading a children's book at work. I I heard that they do exist and they are the most collectible and valuable of all because, as you say, there were so few of them. Do you look at car boot sales at the Ladybird books? Are you tempted? Yeah, I definitely would be. I don't know why I had so many of these and not really any of the others, but the Ladybird children's classics. It says like Robinson Crusoe, but in 400 words. Yeah, pretty much. I had And I had a very well-thumbed copy of Treasure Island, obviously heavily, heavily, heavily abridged. But, it, you know, it taught me the word stockade. I still remember that. Wow, mm-hmm. that is a big word, isn't it, to read yourself? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Ollie. <laughs> 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 There's a sticker if you want to pick one up on your way out of the class. <laughs> Next time. He had an accident that gave him a concussion, and as a result, he was able to visualise better. That sounds like something's been whitewashed, doesn't it? Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.